the optimal life. So, uh, I was looking for you. You're not on Instagram, are you? I am not on Instagram. Are you on Facebook? I'm on Facebook, but it's not really my my audience either. So, what is the most uh, friendly social media LinkedIn form for you? LinkedIn would be the best social media for me. LinkedIn, okay. Yeah, but I am on Facebook. It's Facebook uh, backslash create wealth through franchising. T H R U through franchising. So I was having Chick-fil-A for lunch today and uh, got me thinking about our conversation that we were going to be okay. soon having, which is right now. Um, Chick-fil-A is probably one of the most, correct me if I'm wrong, sought-after franchises there are. Correct. Probably. So what what does it take? Because I know, that, you know... In this world of franchising, there's so many different types. I mean, so many different businesses, models, etc. Um, are you familiar with, for example, the Chick-fil-A model? I am. So what is it? It's not one that I would help somebody get into mm-hmm. um, for a couple of reasons. The, the number one reason being that you never really own what you build. So that is kind of like 7-Eleven and Chick-fil-A are the same in that it's a 50-50 revenue share. So what happens, I mean, the way that I look at what Chick-fil-A is doing is it's an awesome opportunity for those people who have dedicated their life to food service, but they're never going to be able to have enough money to own their own business. So Chick-fil-A comes along and says, look, if you want to own your own business and have, you know, be the boss and have control and have an equity stake in what you're building, but you don't have enough money, then we'll put in the money to build the building and then you can come in and you can be the operator and then we'll share in the profits 50-50. So is so that yeah. when I'm coaching people, I'm coaching them to that exit strategy because I believe that the resale value on what you build is part of that full ROI. And so that's the part of it that I don't really like, but it works for a certain type of person. Because the Chick-fil-A model, you have to have a lot of liquidity just to even come to the table. I don't think so. Not that particular model. I, I, my understanding is I don't know all the particulars of it, but that it's only about a $5,000 investment. Oh, so when okay. people come to me, they say, hey, Kim, I think I'm interested in investing in a franchise. I don't really know what I want to do. Like, what options are out there that I can afford that would match my interests that I would be good at running? And so my job is to build a model. I get to know them professionally, personally, and financially. And then to bring franchise vetted franchise opportunities that match these characteristics that we've put together as their model. And then I introduce them to those franchisors and then I coach them through a due diligence process so that they know they're asking the right questions, they're talking to the right people. If they need resources like um, you know, help getting through the legal documents or financing, I'm their go-to person for all resources to say yes or no to a franchise opportunity. And then they'll work with the franchisors to uh, figure out among the group that we've selected for them to look at, which one is like the right one for them. Sure. And I do all of that for free. So I get paid like a recruiter to help grow franchise brands. So I get paid for the franchisor if they ultimately award you an, an opportunity but I work on behalf of the candidate to help them figure out, is franchising even a good investment for their future? And then if so, what particular franchise is the best one? That's very interesting. So you're working 
really the relationship uh, piece, it's on both sides. Um, you're working, you have to have relationships with a lot of franchisors though. So correct. So I am actually like a franchisee of a company called FranChoice. So my parent organization goes out and puts all these franchisors under contract. So they're always out in the industry looking for the best of the best, the up and coming brands, the, you know, who, who may be, you know, struggling during COVID and who should we not be sending leads to. So they're constantly keeping my inventory like up to date. And so I don't have to spend time doing that. So Mm -hmm. my entire existence is in talking to people who want to find a franchise opportunity and then bringing opportunities to them. So you mentioned at the beginning when we were talking about Chick-fil-A briefly that that's a model that you're not, you know, you don't typically get involved with. What is a more standard model that, that you're familiar and comfortable with? Um, so the, the, the opportunities I lead people to, Nate, would be, again, one where you can put in your money and put in your time and build it, whether it's five years, seven years, ten years, or, you know, sometimes people build businesses for a legacy for their kids and they don't want to sell it. But a lot of times what I help people, what I want people to see is that it's a huge decision when you're trying to say yes to a business that's going to be the thing for the next 20 years. Right. It's like impossible. <laughs> so in order to help people take the weight off of that big of a decision, you know, it's like, let's think about think about it in a bite-sized chunk. Like, I want to invest in this business with this amount of money at this time in my life for this reason. And we need to find those reasons. And so if the business accomplishes those goals and now I can get out, then, then it was a success. Right? So it's just all about finding the right opportunity for those goals at your time in your life. And if you can take, let's say, $150,000 investment, and you can go build a business, and let's say that over the course of six, seven years, you build a business that grosses you know, $3 million a year, and let's be conservative and say that that nets you, the owner, 10%, so you're making 300 grand a year. Okay. Now, at the end of their, your time, six, seven years in, you're like, you know what? I'm ready to do something different or I'm ready to retire. And you could put a price tag of two times that 300 up to five, six, seven, or eight times that. It just depends on the industry. It depends on the owner involvement. It depends on the economy. There's a lot of depends, but you could put even a two multiple on that two on that three hundred thousand you're making, and someone would pay you six hundred thousand to go away. Why wouldn't you want to try to sell your business and take the cash and walk away, right? So that that full ROI, I believe, should be part of the upfront thought process. So when you invest in something like Chick Fil A, I don't know how the exit strategy works, and plus you don't get to reap a hundred percent of the reward. Right. You're splitting it with Chick-fil-A. Now, yeah, you didn't have to put any money in. So Yeah, and you're also, and you know, listen, if you're also splitting a piece of a bigger pie, maybe it's it works out. Obviously, it's a different approach for different people, like you said. But let me ask you, you said that let's say somebody does have an exit strategy seven years, they want to sell for a three or four time EBITDA multiple, whatever it is. Um, are they able, as the franchise owner now of that particular location or if they have several spots are they able to sell to anybody or is there rules in place that it has to go through like a vetting process still 
Well, sure. The franchisor has to approve your buyer because, look, at franchising, when you invest in a franchise name, you're investing in a partnership. That's why you go into a franchise. Right. So an entrepreneur says, I'm a creator, I'm an inventor, I'm bringing something to market, and they sit and they spend time figuring out their widget, figuring out how to market their widget, figuring out who their best customer is, how to reach that customer, how many customers they need, right? And all of that figuring out costs money and takes time. And when you look at the startup statistic on entrepreneurship, 90% of small businesses will fail before their fifth anniversary. So when you dive into that, why did 90% of small businesses fail? What the heck is going wrong? 90% of the 90% of businesses that fail, fail simply because the business owner ran out of money before they could really figure out how to make money. Right. So in a franchise scenario, you're not figuring anything out. When you say yes to the business, you're given a proven business plan, a toolkit that will include technology, that will include marketing, that will include information about who the customer is, how to network to find those customers, how to build a business, training, so you don't have to even have knowledge about how to run this business coming to it. But then also there's the ongoing mentorship so that as you get up the learning curve of running this business, because it's your first time and you will have challenges, you're not gonna have to sit all by yourself on the island and try to figure it out. You pick up the phone and you have people to call, you have corporate office, you have other franchise owners. So we're all part of a collective whole, right? So that's the reason to invest in a franchise is that you wanna be in business for yourself but not by yourself. So, and then it's the scale. So an entrepreneur may spend three to five years trying to figure out how to get one location profitable. I can take uh, an investor who, who invests in five, has the vision to build five stores, and he can have five stores open in five years. And the wealth is always going to be created through the scale. Well, how do they do that? Well, because from day one, again, they're coming to market with the proven tools, the marketing and the technology. So they have the leverage where the owners in a franchise are working on their business rather than in their business. Entrepreneurs start in their business. And then many times they can't figure out how to get out from under, underneath what they've created. True. And that becomes the trap and they become kind of enslaved to what they built and there really is no freedom there. So when I say I'm selling freedom, I'm not selling franchising. It's freedom of time, it's freedom fi financially, it's just freedom of you know having to work for somebody else and it's freedom to be able to scale. I, I'm because trying to understand too, why would a certain buyer though Back to your example, you're making three hundred thousand. You want to sell it for six hundred thousand. Why would that buyer be interested in your location versus maybe starting his or her own back to the hundred and fifty thousand initial investment? What what would make a buyer want to come over to you now that you've got this seven years under your belt? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So again, it comes down to where in the life cycle is that person? So some people are coming in. And let's say that they are own other businesses and they're looking for tax advantages by purchasing a business, right? They're looking for maybe they are the primary breadwinner in the family and they just got laid off. And so they're looking for cash flow. Mm -hmm. They can't afford to take two or three years to take a business from nothing because how are they going to pay their mortgage during that first one year or something if, you know, or two years or whatever if they're starting from scratch. 
So in some cases, buying an existing, there's a whole market of people that only want to buy proven businesses that are for sale. That's, and if someone, if someone's looking for that, that's a business broker, it's not the daily coach. I'm looking for those people who want to be in from the ground floor, building the business with their influence from day one. Absolutely. So let's go through it because uh, there are. This seems to be an unknown process for most people, including myself, and it's fascinating. So take us through, just generally speaking, what are the steps? What is the process for someone that's interested, regardless of the industry? What is the general steps needed to go from I want, you know, I'm interested to ultimately closing on a franchise opportunity? Okay, sure. I mean, this is what I do every day and have been doing this for 18 years. So <laughs> what, we, what we first do is we start with a high-level conversation. Just, you know, kind of who are you? What's your background? What do you think you're interested in? Why do you think now is the time, right? Most people are not going to change their life if there's not a, um, a real strong motivator driving them, right? You may love the idea of owning a business, but if you don't have any strong motivations behind that why, it's gonna be really hard to actually dive off the end of the diving board, right? So, because no matter how much due diligence you do, there's always an unknown. You're stepping into the unknown and you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right. right? That's the only way you can become a business owner. Even in the most proven franchise brand, it's your first time. So they can tell you, we got all the tools and we got everything for you, but it's still unknown to you, right? So we then, I then have people fill out a very basic questionnaire, gather some data per personally, professionally, and financially. Again, I'm just looking at you to try to figure out data points that we can open up a much deeper conversation. Okay. Then we get all the decision makers on an in-depth consultation that takes me about 60 to 90 minutes. So husband and wife, if you're married, because I want everybody there. We're gonna talk about what money buys. Before I ever ask you what level of investment you think you wanna put into a business, I wanna to explain to you what your money will buy. It's not a fair question unless you know what money buys. Sure. <laughs> so we talk, we open the conversation with vision. I wanna look ahead up from this moment and where is this business taking you? You have to have a vision. If you don't have a vision, you'll never be able to say yes to a business. It's, it's a part of it is a logical conversation and part of it is, part of it is an emotional conversation. The emotional part is the dreaming part, the, the, the visualization part. So once we have all the decision makers on the table and I can explain to you what your money will buy and now you start to check boxes for yourself and for me about the kind of owner you wanna be, the skill sets you have that you think will make you a successful business owner, where you would like your, op your business to operate from, like a location, a home-based office, an industrial office, a, an office suite, and kind of, again, what you're using this business for. So if I have an investor mindset who has, who's a, a high W-2 earner who's looking to offset taxes right, by building a franchise, but he doesn't have any time or she doesn't to put into the business, then I need something that's more what we call semi-absentee. So a business will never be purely absentee, but like think like if you had a touchless car wash or if you had a self-storage business, right? It's, you know, one or, you know, very small team of employees and really no time commitment by the owner to run a certain class of business like that. Right. So, but versus someone who says, no, I lost my job or I've been, you know, downsized, I'm not going back, I want this to be the full-time thing that I'm doing, well, then he's raising their hand, his hand or her hand to be full-time investor, owner, 
you know, do get in the business, roll the sleeves up, learn it, and do it every day. So money, the more money you have, the more options you're going to have, like anything else in life. But more money into a business investment does not equate to more money out. That is a myth. I can show you, and I won't do it in this kind of a format, but in a one-on-one conversation, how if you're the right person to take a fifty dollars or $60,000 investment and go out there and drive that activity, you could make more of what I would call unlimited earning potential than you ever could from one location of Chick-fil-A. Not to pick on Chick-fil-A, because I have nothing against <laughs> Chick-fil-A. Any business that has real estate. Sure. Because when you have real estate, you always have capped income from day one. Because people are only gonna drive from a three to a five mile radius typically, right? They're not gonna drive 20 minutes out of their way for your coffee. They're gonna find something closer, right? And in some uh, real estate businesses like Massage Envy where you have 15 therapy rooms, well, at some point in your development, every room you have may be booked every hour that you're open. Now that's a high class problem, but it's still a problem if you wanna grow, right? So how do you grow? Well, you grow by building another location. So we talk about scale. Do you wanna be scaling your business with teams? Do you wanna be scaling your business with equipment like a pest control company, right? One truck can do, one technician can do $150,000 a year in revenue and that's, you know, next to the owner 50 grand and one territory that they sell you can hold four trucks. All right, so that's 200,000 I can make from one territory. Well, I'd like to have two territories, so eventually I could scale to eight trucks. So that's what I mean, like scaling the trucks. You're starting with the potential to have eight trucks in this very large business, but you're you're going into the water with a small investment in one truck. Sure. And then the third way that you can scale a business is with multiple locations. So when I get into this consultation with with the candidate, this is where we start to explore and I start to teach. This is what your money buys and this is what this means. And when you're visualizing how you want to build a business, how do you want to build it? Some people come to me and say, my greatest strength is my leadership skills. I want to create jobs. So a business like a maid service business where the limiting factor to your growth isn't gonna be finding homes to clean. There's always gonna be people that want their home clean. It's gonna be finding employees who clean those homes well so that the customers stay. So that's a leadership role. So where we're breaking down owning a business to its core skill set, matching excuse me, matching that to what the owner feels is their core core skill set talking about the investment level relative to their net worth and what is a comfortable and safe level of investment for them, I don't want to put anybody in a position where they're betting the farm. It's right. too big of a risk, right? Well, and then, and then um, other things like risk tolerance. So where in the life cycle of a business do you want to invest? Do you want a brand like Supercuts, right? That has 3,000 locations and 30 years of history and it's owned by Regis, which is a billion dollar company, publicly traded company, right? And it's every I is dotted and every T is crossed. It's the Titanic. It's unsinkable. Wink, wink. <laughs> right? <laughs> or do you want to be more on the pioneering side, being being one of the first franchisees in the next up and coming? Imagine if, I don't know if you know the brand Orange Theory Fitness, but for a time there, it seemed like everybody that contacted me was like, wow, I wish I knew about Orange Theory before it came here. Well, how do you learn about those kind of opportunities through someone like me? 
Sure. And then we're for, building the brand before it's a brand. So the Orange Theory example, and yes, I'm familiar. I was actually going to bring that up or Title Boxing or some of these other uh, fitness franchises. So somebody that wants to do Orange Theory and be a franchisee with limited experience or no experience in that fitness field, um, what do they have to do? Do they have interview? Like, what's the vetting process? And then how does, if they are vetted and they are approved by the franchise, how does the franchise then help them learn the business, that kind of thing? Yeah, that's great. So you're, so, now you're, so once you get past all that and we presented companies, now you start dating franchisors. So the whole thing is like a courtship leading to a marriage because, again, you're buying a relationship. Got it. And when you work with me, we start with a blind date. So we're going to go on some funky blind dates, and I'm going to tell you, don't fall in love, play the field, have some fun, be <laughs> curious, you know, just learn all the different ways there are to make money out there. But each franchisor, so franchisors that are, well, smart franchisors know that a candidate doesn't know what they need to know in order to say yes to the investment. So they start leading the process from the very first call, teaching people what they need to know, uncovering their tools in their toolbox. Here's our marketing plan. Here's how we design a territory. Here's how we're gonna help you find the right location, negotiate the lease, and get the construction costs down. So as you go through a four to a six week due diligence process, you're typically meeting with a franchise for one hour per week and advancing one call after the other. So there's a cadence to this process. And the cadence is critical to its success. Each call sets you up for the next call, for the next call. Once you've learned what I call the book theory of how the business runs by talking to the franchisor, then they're gonna set you loose to go interview their existing franchise owner. So we don't have to take the franchisor's word for it. We're gonna go out in the field and we're gonna talk to people who once stood right where you stand, who had all the same questions and concerns, who dared to take the leap, and they're still breathing, and now they can tell a story. And we're gonna hear what is a day in the life like, and what, what has your biggest challenge been, and how has your business impacted during COVID, and how do you feel the support is, and what are you looking forward to in the future, and all the questions that people really want answered, they don't hear it from the franchisor, they hear it from the franchisees. And the people are like, well, why are the franchisees going to even be honest with me? Well, why aren't they? Sure. They're not trying to sell you anything. Everyone stood exactly where you stand. They had to make those calls in order to get where they are. So now they're giving back. Remember, in a franchise, we're all shareholders in the same brand. So it's not like if I'm, if I'm super successful, that limits your ability to be successful. It's just the opposite. If I become super successful and figure out how to have a million dollar store and it's never been done before and I can share that with every franchisee such that every franchisee can have a million dollar store, then our entire brand becomes that much better. That's how a brand becomes an orange theory. Yes. Right? Because the experience is replicated over and over and over. So the consumer likes franchising because the consumer knows what to expect. Right? When you're traveling and you're looking for a place to eat and you see an Applebee sign, you're like, yes, right? Because you know what to expect. Mm. And then, right? and then okay, so, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, that, that's just what the consumer, that's the whole thing, that a franchise is built on standards. So on the flip side, when people are in due diligence and they start reading the legal documents and they're like, oh, this franchisor is controlling me and they want me to buy my stuff from here and I... I have to pay a fee over here. I'm like, look, franchising is all about 
standards. And so every store has to look and feel and, and be the same experience at the consumer level if it's going to become the next big American brand. And that doesn't mean there's no room for an owner to bring creativity to a franchise. Sure. If you are investing in a consumer brand, like in a in a for you know in a, in a location, there's less variability. But the very the less the the less the variability, the less the owner is needed in that business. Actually, those businesses tend to be more what we call semi absentee. They can be manager run because it's more plug and play. So to contrast that with a business like. Um, uh, I don't know, something like uh, that might run where it's more salesy by the owner. So let's say a restoration company mm-hmm. where they do fire and water mitigation like a stir throw or a restoration water, 100 water damage. So in these businesses, yes, the, the way that we suck up water and clean mildew, it's standardized from our franchisor, right? But the manner in which the owner of that restoration company goes out and builds relationships with plumbers and insurance adjusters and insurance companies and other tradespeople who could refer that customer to them, that's more on the owner and the owner's influence, right? So this comes back to when we're building a model together, the kind of owner you want to be and the kind of influence you want to be. Are you looking for that turnkey plug and play or are you looking to bring a piece of you into the business where you can be influential, you can be more actively engaged? And then again, as you're going through this four to six week due diligence process, learning from the franchisor and then validating with the franchisees, you're starting to connect the dots to the owner that you want to be, the owner that you're hearing other people are. You're starting to align and say, wow, I love what I'm hearing from these owners. I can see myself in that business. And you start to funnel yourself down to one. Then you get invited to this discovery day, which is the the culmination of the research. When Discovery Day is used as the closing tool, this is the best way for the process to go. At this Discovery Day, you get access to the leaders, the people that will actually be your partners. You, in, in non-COVID times, you get to go to the corporate office. You get to experience the brand in case there isn't one around you for you to walk in or go talk to or you know go, go, into, an own, go into visit a franchisee. And that's the franchisor's opportunity to be face-to-face with you. So they can get a sense of how you are and how you carry yourself. And do you feel like you're going to be, do do they believe that you're going to be a good cultural fit? Right? Are you going to be someone that's coachable for them? Because that's the last thing that a franchisor wants is someone who's going to come in guns blazing, all combative, and I know better, right? I mean, why buy the franchise? Right, right, right. <laughs> right? They're looking for people that are, like, open-minded and are coachable, not just financially qualified who can fog, fog up a mirror, you know? <laughs> because together, we're going to work together to build this brand. And in this year, 2020, there's never been a better time to really see the, how strong the collective whole could be, right? A lot of mom and pop businesses closed their doors in March, got into the fetal position, can't really figure out how to reopen or safely reopen, and they'll never reopen. But the, the, every franchise that I work with, and it's hundreds, adapted and overcame. Most of them stayed open. We have one fitness franchisor that I would say is the best fitness franchisor in the world, they have eight 
brands underneath one parent umbrella, and system-wide, they gained 25,000 new memberships when all of their clubs were closed. How did they do that? Because they have a virtual platform that competes with Peloton. So when all these mom-and-pop clubs closed and all those people were looking for something to do at home, it turned to virtual workouts, this franchisor was perfectly positioned. So that's one example of how when you have the right franchisor partner, even in an industry that most would assume must be devastated when the doors are shut, they figure out how to adapt and overcome and be, this franchisor is gonna be there better because of COVID. That's interesting. Because now they've attracted members that they believe they will be able to keep, that they might not have attracted had COVID not happened, and that is a winner right there. (laughs) So again, when when I'm helping people go through this process, we're not focused on widgets. I don't care if your business is dog grooming or flipping burgers or changing oil. It's not gonna matter to you either. So much as you believe in that product or service and you see the need or you see the value of it. Because we're not hobbyists, we're not widget masters. We're investors, we're business owners, we're CEOs driving revenue, taking an, amount, taking an investment of money and turning it into something. And hopefully something that buys us back our time, even if not in the beginning, at some point. Because otherwise you just left one job for another job. I gotta right? tell you, I'm ready to go buy a franchise after hearing you speak. <laughs> Let's go, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to ask you before we finish off. I was going to actually, you kind of answered it, well, in a way. But what, which industries, or if there are any, um, did you see that were a little bit more COVID-proof this year than maybe some others, or was it too hard to tell? No, you know what I mean. So here's the thing. For 18 years, I have been helping people start franchise businesses. And I've always focused my sweet spot, the Daily Coach sweet spot, is low fixed cost. When I interview owners who are frustrated, who have businesses that just keep them up at night, like, what keeps you up at night? It's fixed expenses. Okay, so in my mind, I'm like, so don't lead people down the path where there's a lot of fixed expenses. So food is out. Sorry, guys, I have food. You can beg me for it, but I'm going to challenge you to hold it against something where there's a little... Because every time you make that sandwich, you have a cost. If you look at a massage envy or a yoga studio, so if a yoga studio, if you have need 200 members to break even in your yoga studio, and now you get to 300 members, does it cost you more to operate your yoga studio? No. Maybe you have a little bit more expense and more class, like uh, more instructors because you have more classes, a little more cleaning expense. But your, your fixed expenses are the same, whether you're serving 200 members or 2,000 members. Yeah. So what happens after your fixed, cover, fixed costs are covered, the rest of that falls right to the bottom line. And so your, your net profit grows exponentially. Yes. That's what I'm looking for. That when, when I say, I want easy business, I don't want hard business. I don't want you scrimping for margin. It's too hard. So why does everybody buy food, Cam? Well, they don't if they come to me. They buy food because they don't know any better. They don't have coaching like this. They're not thinking all the way through it. I've taken lifetime restaurant owners who say, this time I want to do a franchise. I'm tired of starting from scratch. And I'm like, okay, really? So can I challenge you to go beyond food? 
and not one of them has ever ended up buying food. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> so the answer to your question is, you know, I'm going to lead you to multiple franchises, and you're going to, I'm going to teach you how to do the due diligence and ask the right questions so you can figure out for yourself among the group of franchises we've narrowed it down to, which one feels the most COVID-proof or the safest or whatever your, whatever most important to you. Some investors are like, I don't want safe. I want to be out on the edge. Bring me the ones that are like, I'm the number one franchisee and I can pick the best territory in the country. There's that guy too. Yeah. So it's all tailored to the investor that I'm working up. But the idea is that there's an investment for everybody, for every range of cash or investment, for every risk tolerance. If you're the person who likes every I dotted and every T cross, the, the super cuts of the world have your back. If you're the pioneer that wants to be the guy who can be the one to say, I was the first one with Orange Theory Fitness in my heart, I have options too, and, and like everything in between. If you want to work from home, if you want to work in a retail space, if you want to work in a professional office space, if you want to be business to business, if you want to serve business customers and not the general consumer. There are franchises out there. You might not know the names of those companies because they're not consumer brands. Because a business doesn't buy from a brand. They buy from a vendor, a salesperson who comes in, right? They buy from people they know, like, and trust. Yeah, yeah. And there are franchises where you can be or you or your small sales team can be those people who go out and build relationships where people know, like, and trust you. It sounds like a great mod, uh, just a great industry altogether, and the support and all the resources that come along with it. It seems to me that this pandemic is probably going to force a lot of people to uh, look in this direction for 2021 and beyond. And uh, I have a feeling you're going to continue to remain busy, Kim. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know, in, in one of my early mentors, 20 years, 20 plus years ago, and I got into franchising right out of college, taught me that in good times and bad, franchising wins. Yeah. So there's always an investor out there. What people invest in and their motivations for investing will change with economies. So in, go in a good economy, people want more of the American dream, and they're buying more of those luxury, the want-type businesses. In a bad economy, people want security and safety, and they're buying the more essential services. But the end result is, in good times and bad, franchising wins. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Kim at thedailycoach.com. Thedailycoach.com is our website. We'll link it up in the show notes. Thank you so much for shedding insight into this uh, industry, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate the opportunity. Bye -bye. Thanks.